Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we are discussing all things coaching. A slight tweak again this week, where I follow up on the pre-season webinar from a couple of weeks ago and discuss how pre-season has been shaping up for some clubs. Uh, delighted to have Jess join me for this. So Jess, if you want to introduce yourselves, uh, introduce yourself and kind of just explain a little bit about where you're coaching and what you've been doing. Yeah, uh, hi guys, I'm Jess Bunyard. Uh, I'm editor of Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine. I also coach down at Huddersfield Rugby Union Club where I'm the head of women and girls um, and I'm an assistant academy head coach there as well. And I've done some DPP coaching for the region and some university coaching as well. Genuinely like the busiest coach I know. So um... <laughs> Non-stop, it's non-stop, yeah. mate. Yeah, fair. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess first question, like how... Yeah, how has preseason been? What have you noticed about the return? Kind of give us a give us a bit of rundown like within the different environments you've been in. Are you noticing anything different across across the group? Like where where are things at for you? Yeah, I I guess it's a bit of a disclaimer time that we've probably not followed in sort of both my academy and women's team. Um, we've sort of not followed a, a prescriptive preseason that some might expect. Um, so for the women's side, we've just continued training because we launched in between those lockdowns, um, which was really tricky. So after this last lockdown ended, we just decided to continue through the summer and actually have some proper momentum for once, which is nice. So we've gone from sort of having four or five at training to hitting sort of 10 to maybe having like now 15 or 16 on the WhatsApp chat and, and getting a proper sort of community going offline and then chatting away from the pitch and stuff, which has been really good. Um, so as we decided to keep going, I had an idea that as my Wednesday nights were were free because it's kind of the off season, that we do a little bit of a women's boot camp that I'd run before at a couple of clubs. Um, so our Tuesday night training is sort of all games based, learning the rules as they go, learning how each other works, picking up the teamwork, getting to know everybody. And then the boot camp on a Wednesday was sort of a free program anyone could come down at any age and it would be a rugby fit boot camp so it was a fitness inspired by rugby so there were obviously some rugby games in there stuff like rugby netball and then we'd do some activate movements as part of that game to warm everybody up and get everybody warmed up properly um then we would go into sort of a circuit training thing that would look sort of like rugby movements if a rugby coach was coming along but to anybody who was new and just brought down they were just kind of movements but if they decided to then continue with the Tuesday night training after our boot camp ended they would then see that those skills and body positioning that they had done at boot camp is actually really applicable to the wider game so we did stuff like bear crawls we did stuff like uh punching the tackle pads just to get out a bit of uh, aggression which is great um we did some sort of core and balance stuff one week which was really fun um, and then we'd have some assault courses and some races and, and general sort of teamwork fitness stuff. And actually, I found that we had slightly older women attend that boot camp. And I think it was because I made it clear that anything or any activity could be modified to suit any level of fitness. Um, and it actually made women who were sort of uh, 
I think menopausal and postmenopausal come down, which is actually really good to see. Um, and we're hoping, sort of fingers crossed, in the next couple of weeks that they'll transition over to Tuesday sessions. Now our boot camp has ended. Um, and that's been fantastic, to be honest. Everybody's had a, a higher confidence in their rugby fitness abilities. Um, and it's made them much more sure in themselves. They've had a sort of confidence which has continued sort of into the normal rugby sessions, which has been fantastic. And then for the academy side, because um, I coach Tuesdays with the women's, uh, the head coach has taken over sort of Tuesday uh, academy sessions. And on Thursday, I run what we've called Pathway Touch and Pass. So it's a touch and pass session uh, during normal academy training time. So anybody from the Huddersfield Academy is welcome down, as well as a few age groups below and also the twos and threes above them. So basically it's to form this idea that there is a proper pathway in the club, which there is and it does exist, but now everybody can meet and play and train with each other. So those academy players who are on the cusp of getting some game time in the twos and threes, it won't be such a massive step up because they'll know the players um, having come to the Thursday sessions. Um, and it gives everybody sort of, it, you know, because we are struggling for numbers on that academy side slightly. I think just because of COVID and there was college and university and kind of everybody's just sort of finding their feet and finding how rugby fits into that again this has meant that we can give players greater training abilities due to those larger numbers. Um, and we've started to see people come from an external environment into the rugby club and found their way through pathway touch and pass. So that's been really great. And that's just sort of, it's just nonstop touch and pass games, to be honest. Um, sometimes we'll do a little bit of rugby Quidditch, which is just absolute madness for a warm up. We might do some rugby netball then we'll do some multi-directional stuff and then we'll go into standard sort of backwards switch and pass and we'll add some rules on for there. And it's it, that's a real test for me because although I'll have an idea of what I want to run throughout the session based on what I've seen the week before, I could have a completely new combination of players. Um, so it's really is a challenge for me of what rules can I put in based on what I'm noticing, you know, 30 seconds ago, give them a drink break, right? What, what have I noticed? What rule can I apply that, that will make sense and that will challenge everybody, but not overstretch because there's so many different levels of fitness and playing experience in that group. It's been great. I mean, there's loads to unpick in that. I just, I, I just love how joined up your thinking is in terms of the boot camp stuff into the academy stuff and all the way through. So everything is, there's multiple entry points and I guess exit points in, in the same fashion if people don't want to carry on through stuff. So yeah, if you're happy, we can, I'd love to unpick that a little bit more. Like how have you of got course. to the stage where, where you are thinking about connecting that? Is that just other stuff you've done previously that you're kind of just bringing in or, or was that a sit down conversation with the coaching group and the team saying, and I guess the club and going, what have we got? How are we going to build this? How do we connect it? How do we make it, you know, a pathway? Yeah. So the from the women's side, the club are really flexible in the fact that they just let me do within, obviously within reason, pretty much whatever I want. Um, and I had run the boot camp with a club I was previously involved in. And it was something that through chats with my sort of local CRC that they sort of, we, you know, sort of hammered out. Would it work if it was a free program, if it was sort of a six week type thing, um, people could buy into that. Um, and we sort of tied it in with some rewards and stuff and that worked well. And then I think having had that experience at a previous club, I then wanted to sort of refine it and get it a little bit 
better a little bit more sort of formalized in my own head rather than just sort of finding my feet as I went on um, and so decided to put it in as a six-week program here at this club very much with a view to this is the standard format it will take place alongside the the women's training because at a previous club we I'd always just overtaken it so boot camp ran for six weeks in place of normal training but this time I decided to run them side by side which did seem to make more sense because players, you know, that we've got coming down to Tuesday training might not feel comfortable in that boot camp environment. And that's absolutely fine. But equally, if let's say one of the attendees of boot camp couldn't make that Wednesday, they might feel tempted to then, oh, I'll come along on a Tuesday, which is which is what happened. Um, so it created much more of a better flow through that training session. In terms of academy, um, it was something we noticed in discussions with the, the head coach that we were having a lack of numbers um, and we wanted to create something that was a little bit more long lasting in terms of that club pathway. Um, you know, there is a great one club ethos at, at that rugby club, um, but we wanted to have something that was one club ethos once a week. And here we can go. Actually, yeah, we've rubber stamped the one club ethos. It's on show directly here. Um, and earlier, the club in the, in the off season had run touch and pass, but it was quite short and not everybody could access it due to exams and, and college and whatnot. So we wanted to run something for our academy players. But equally, we were aware that we had some twos and threes players that were really keen to contribute and come down to the academy. But it was a case of we were going to have more coaches than players at one point, which is fantastic because, you know, there's a lot of clubs not in that position. Um, but it was also felt somewhat ludicrous to have that. So that's the idea of sort of the touch and pass came about. We tried it for a couple of weeks and then I said, well, why don't we create it as a pathway touch and pass? And that's have something really long lasting. And at the moment, our idea is obviously it might change, but our idea is to continue it um, outside of the, the off season and to have it running as a sort of a, a long-standing Thursday night which feeds into what the club are already doing they've got walking rugby on a Thursday night so if you find that at some point touch and pass is no longer accessible or at the right pace for you well at the same time there's walking rugby uh, on an adjacent pitch which which will probably fit in quite nice. That's class I mean I, I, just jumping back to some of the research I used to do with the RFU around actually one of the main issues of transition is people don't want to transition because they go from playing with their mates to a group that they've never met. So, I mean, the fact that you're kind of getting everybody to a session and, and aligning that, I think is class. Is there anything you're doing specifically there to like increase that social connection to kind of bring that together? Like what, what does the training stuff look like around that, I guess, biosocial, uh, biopsychosocial element ahead of just yeah. that? they're in the same environment so they'll be friends like because I think we overlook that quite a lot yeah we do and it's been a challenge obviously because those players say twos and threes and some of the the coaches that come down are more experienced um and more confident so they will communicate more um they will communicate sort of loudly um whereas those in the academy or the age group below the teenagers have tended not to communicate at all we've got a couple that have confidence in thinking around the grey areas and the rules that I give them. So what's the what's the cheat sheet is the kind of line that I use. Um, and they feel confident in kind of finding out what the cheat sheet is and then communicating to a group. But in game, the communication has been quite quiet from that younger age group. So one of the rules we've tried to put in is if you're over the age of 25, at a certain, there might be a rule in the game where 
you can't communicate uh, or you or you can't use uh, verbal communication. There might be a rule in a huddle where if you're over the age of 25, you're only allowed to ask a question or you're not allowed to communicate at all. You've only got to listen. Um, and that's that has massively helped on the communication. We ha I have got sillier rules coming in in the future. Um, one game that worked quite well is we had a multi-directional game of touch and pass. And it's sort of brand new. I've only run it like a couple of times. I run it once with the women and once with the pathway touch and pass. But basically, multi-directional touch and pass, once you've been touched, you have to close your eyes to pass the ball. So you are wholly reliant on everybody else communicating around you. And within that, obviously, if you're a defender, you can call for the pass. And obviously, the attacker isn't going to know. So there's all kinds of, uh, you know, surreptitious stuff going on, which is great. Um, but that's helped people come out of their shell a little bit because everybody is in the same boat. I find if I put one of the more quote unquote wackier games in, which is which is in my repertoire that I love, instead of a standard touch and pass game, everybody's in the same boat because it's a new game for everybody. Um, so everybody's learning on the spot and learning on the go. Whereas if I put a a touch and pass game that might be considered more traditional well the coaches and the players know that or the older players know that so they're going to be comfortable communicating more and they might over talk the younger players so finding something where everybody's on the same everybody's in the same boat has been really key I think that's brilliant as you say almost yeah leveling the playing field in terms of understanding so comms comms become easier for everybody that's great do, do you think they don't talk because of just a lack of a knowledge or a lack of the, or, or kind of fear of the fact that they'll be judged if they speak. Cause I still have this problem. I mean, senior men, university women, like any, any environment I've been to, there are just always going to be people that don't want to talk. And the challenge being even trying to get them to recognize why they don't want to talk. I, I actually find really difficult. So yeah, if you've got any, I mean, the, I think the, the level playing field is class, but if there's anything else like conversationally you've had with those players that that's actually brought out some more understanding or some more confidence. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because um, sometimes I'll be running my Tuesday women's session and the academy session will be going on at another pitch with, with the head coach. Um, and I, and I can't hear them in that session either. Um and I've looked and I, I can't hear them communicate. And that's purely with they're in their own peer group. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's been an interesting trend with that group of players where they don't, they tend not to communicate to each other and then tend not to communicate in touch and pass, which is really interesting. I think one of the things I'm, I'm going to do in a game is just have, is just have that animal noises game where you can only communicate in animal noises. Again, it's equally silly, but it just kind of, it lets you almost get out a noise without thinking about how much what you're saying is going to be right or wrong. And I think sometimes it is that fear of judgment. So if it's a call of here, but it's communicated as an animal noise, um, I think sometimes it, it just gets rid of that fear. It's worked for the women's team where now we have a, a couple of communications or a couple of calls where they adjust our animal noises. I think our kick has become some sort of bird sound from whenever they want to kick in a, in a, in a training game. They'll do a caca. They'll do like a high yeah for a defensive move now when they need to get in a line. And they've now figured out that obviously in attack, it's best communicated to new players that they are like that sort of flying V, like a flock of geese. So they'll do some sort of honk noise. It's become utterly bonkers, but it, it helps make the game more accessible. So instead of using that rugby jargon for brand new players, if you can get it as a, you're going to be a goose flying V, that sort of communicates that, 
that attack move a little more and it gets rid of that fear of judgment from new players or old players of, oh, I'm going to say something wrong because I'm not quite comfortable in, in this environment yet. Um, for me, thinking back to when I was playing, although I knew and I understood the game and I've, and I've been involved with the game from an early age, I didn't start playing until university. And I probably was one of those really quiet players, although I knew the laws you know, well or better than some people that had just come along that were more vocal. Um, I think sometimes for me, it was a case of I was so focused on what I was doing and, and it was almost a case of sensory overload that I was so focused on my job and there was lots going on around me. I almost forgot to speak. Um, and I kind of wish that somebody had pulled me aside and gone, do you realise you're not communicating at all? Because I probably, I think thinking back, I had no clue I wasn't communicating. So somebody yelling, you need to communicate on the sideline probably didn't go in my brain because I wasn't aware I wasn't communicating because I was just so focused on everything else and there was sensory overload. So I think sometimes if you notice a quiet player and pulling them aside and going, do you realise, you know, or, or how I often start a conversation with how would you rate your whatever on a scale of one to 10? Um, you know, so how would you rate your communication, verbal or non-verbal on a scale of one to 10? And it gets them to assess where they are. I think if I was a player and a coach had pulled me aside and said that, I probably would have realised and, and rated my communication at about a one or a two. And although that might not have forced an immediate change, it might have forced some reflection in me and me going back to the coach and going, OK, I've reflected on this. My communication is dire, is non-existent. How, how can that be better? Um, so I think it's sometimes being aware to, our, to us as coaches that players may not be aware they're not communicating. It's just there's so much in a game going on you have to remember where you are, your positioning, what else is going on in the defence, what's going on in the attack. You know, there's everything being sort of shouted at once. So there's there's oral stimulation as well as visual. It's it's a lot for, to process sometimes that sometimes I think there's just too much going on for a player to actually open their mouth and communicate. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I think the overload piece is really key, certainly for, yeah, I guess new or inexperienced players. They, they're just, they're having to think so hard. It's It becomes actually quite difficult to to provide information to other people. I mean, we, we find we do a lot of walking touch and I do this with, with any group that I'm with and actually just that kind of self self commentary. So it, it would be what fighter pilots or high speed drivers use. And all you're talking kind of out loud is what you see, what you kind of think and what you do. Um, and I find that that makes a massive, massive difference in terms of just, they can, they can still kind of mumble it to themselves. Like it doesn't have to be that big, loud, shouty type communication. I think it's really key that they understand there's loads of different stuff, but no one's listening, which is absolutely fine. Because that's some of the, some of the questions come back are kind of like, well, why, like there's too much noise. And I'm like, but that's the point. Like no one is actually judging what you say. It's just you being more comfortable with I've seen this, so I'm just going to communicate it. And then we'll kind of go into that. Like, So you might be able to talk. Every other person might not be able to talk. Now we can actually start listening. Now we can dial some stuff up and down. And yeah, I, I definitely think there's, re, I guess, reducing the speed of the game, I think helps. As you said, like you're not having to go at a million miles an hour and try and think of the game that you're not used to playing, but you can just kind of bring it back to this is this is how we communicate. This is what good information sharing is. So yeah, fair play. How um how do you manage to or kind of differentiate within the group in terms of you've obviously got more experienced players, you've got players that are brand new. How how do you manage that across a range of skills and gameplay? Sure, that 
that process is is evolving at at the moment to be honest um because we've this is about probably four or five probably six weeks old at, at best um so a lot of it is me in me giving out the the bibs or the headbands to to start a session or how we assign teams obviously when I first started it was just the simple of pairing them up nobody sells one and two get sorted into teams quickly and then I can sort of evaluate players on on the go um at the moment it's become a bit more of a refined process of making sure there's an there's an even balance between those that are inexperienced and those that are experienced on a team that blend together and to hopefully make sure that I mean no one's you know hideous no one's got a hideous personality or no one's you know uh, overly rude or anything in a session but making sure personalities that I've noticed work together are on a team together um and if we've got a couple of new people it's putting them with people that I know will in-game coach them really well um and it's helpful that the academy head coach he joins in with touch and pass so there's a coach on the pitch playing along so I'll often put him with some of the women's teams that come along that are almost you know pretty brand new to a game of touch or and well, it sort of enables me then to have a coach on the pitch who can observe and feedback information to me. Um, but then we can also have chats to him about consider your rugby jargon when you're chatting to, to a new player. So it's almost a little bit of co-coaching and coach development on the go because we had an interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago about, uh, you know, I'm I'm on ball, you stay there in defence. Well, he, you know, this new player might not know what that means in terms of rugby jargon. So it's, you know, it's how can we be more useful with our with our communication and our information and be, you know, really super obvious and remove that that jargon. Um, but it, it's putting personalities together that will will go together. And sometimes it's putting because we've got a lot of sort of um, parent child teams that come along, obviously, uh, through the nature of sort of twos and threes in academy. So sometimes it's putting them together, especially if it's their first session along to, to Pathway Touch and Pass. And then it's putting them in opposite teams. So, you know, there'll be that little bit of, of family rivalry and it will sort of energize you. Um, my dad came along for his first session this week and I was coaching. And um, obviously I wanted to make him comfortable. It's been a long time since he stepped into a rugby environment. But I really did feel that urge to put a headband on and go and join the opposite team and get stuck in for, him for five seconds. He scored a try, but he fell over in the process and I, I couldn't stop laughing. And then a player pulled me up on that after and said, you laughed. You laughed at your dad how day. And I was like, it's fine. If I fell over, he'd laugh at me just the same. That's brilliant. I love that. Fair play. Um, how about return to contact stuff? So obviously with the stuff you did over the summer, did you kind of carry that on? Have you just reintroduced it now? Kind of what does what does that look like again with with how the kind of squads have come back back together? So for for women's, we've done a lot of what I call sort of contact preparation, which is just getting used to the movements that you will encounter during contact. So whether that's the Tower of Power, but then you can take that into a boot camp environment and it becomes a little bit of a squat type movement, um, whether that's a bear crawl, whether that's doing some bear crawl sort of football, um, which I love, or doing just a bear crawl and a warm up, or doing just generally some plyometric stuff. So skips in a warm up, or we did a plyometric session that was sort of separate. It was a little sort of block fitness environment, although I hate I hate the term block fitness. I don't know why, but it was a little sort of maybe because I used to dread it being a prop when I was playing. But it was a little sort of block fitness environment 
Um, and I told the players they'd be doing these sort of skips and leaps and bounds and stuff. And they got very excited on the WhatsApp chat when I mentioned you might look like Super Mario. Um, and some were a little bit nervous about it because they've got injuries in the past or they're coming to rugby for the first time and they've got pre-existing sort of injuries. Um, and some were nervous about it. And I and I again sort of made the point of we can modify it. There is there is a there's a level one and there's a level two and a three and it sort of doesn't matter what you're doing each of those levels is is effective for for where you are um but as soon as I mentioned the Super Mario they got very excited and requested there was music and I sort of got instant buy-in even from those players that they were a little bit nervous about the the leaps and the bounds and the plyo work and then we sort of finished that session with a with a weird Mario Kart piggyback race thing um but sometimes it's just finding that little bit of buy-in, whether that's music um, or whether that's relating it to something they know has been really useful. So we've done sort of bear crawl stuff. We've done we've done plyo stuff. Um, obviously, we've had some of the tackle columns and pads out for boot camp. Well, they're, obviously, they're not hitting and tackling them. They've been moving them or manipulating them or hitting them. Um, but in a way so that that equipment isn't completely scary when we bring it out again. You know, I'm not a huge believer in rolling out the pads and the columns every week, but for brand new people just to get rid of that fear, sometimes it's really helpful to hit a piece of foam rather than than hitting a person. Um, so it's it's almost bringing out that equipment occasionally for use for using it in our sort of bootcamp fitness so that they're not terrified when it gets wheeled out again when it's time for contact so that it's a, a piece of equipment they're familiar with, hopefully as much as they are familiar with a rugby ball. Um, you know, the more ball in hand time we get players having, the better, the more familiar they are seeing a rugby ball, the better for new players. So the same can be said for, for bits of contact equipment, if you like using it. You know, we don't want players to be afraid of contact, particularly with women that are brand new to the sport. If they've played netball or, or handball or football, you know, they won't have had to tackle somebody quite like in the way we do when there's rugby. So there can be that fear. So having that equipment around means there's not a fear of the equipment when we get it out again. And, you know, they can enjoy running it and hitting it in the salt course or in this, you know, in the contact bowling games and stuff like that, that I do, you know, there's, there's not a great fear of it. And we sort of build it up from a, from a level. So it's, it's fitting really nicely, to be honest, we've had, because we are introducing contact slowly because they are a brand new group. We've just been able to incorporate it into our pre-season, pre-season buildup. So it's been, here are the basic rules of safety and contact, which we had sort of April, March time. Then we went into the off season where we moved into sort of conditioning and contact preparation positions. And now we're getting sort of back into that, that contact element and, and introducing them to their own sort of uh, rugby power, really, via a little bit of sort of ruck and pad work. And then we're going to move on to some some scrum stuff, which we'll, we'll do for everybody because there's nothing like holding your own weight up at a 1v1 scrum session to make you realise what power you actually do have. And, and that can be so boosting in terms of your own confidence. Oh, I love the sound of that. That's great work. When uh, when do your games start? So we're in an inner warrior league for women's and it actually is really flexible this year. And I love what the RFU have done. So I've been involved in the inner warrior league in the past and it was always you, you could build up your own rules but everybody tend to stick to sort of either 10 or 15 aside full contact with this league that we're entered now it you can play anything from six aside touch rugby all the way up to 15 aside contact and anything in between and any variation that that you want 
so for us it was sort of a no-brainer to enter it so we start in October we're probably going to go from those touch games all the way and we might aim to finish the end of season with you know a 10 or 15 a side contact game um but for us those kind of rules are perfect because we can be rewarded on our league points for playing anybody inside or outside our own league and basically any variation of rugby that is right and safe and enjoyable um for our players which is pretty perfect that's cool i didn't i didn't hadn't actually seen that that's really interesting how um how do you think the non-contact element will help I guess the women's game in general. So I, I, I had the same conversation with Coxie yesterday when we recorded it, but this will be last week when this one goes out. Just around, actually, it feels like lots and lots and lots of people have come out of the woodwork to get involved in clubs and rugby again because there's not really been a contact element. So is is that something you've seen? Do you think that will carry on? With, again, like kind of off the back of that flexibility, are you more likely to get more players for? for longer or come back to the game or or start the game, do you think? Yeah, I I think with the women's, just based on what I've seen this summer with the boot camp and and the touch rugby training that we've done, I think we are more likely to see those ladies that are on the older side, sort of menopausal, postmenopausal, enter the game. Um, And I've I've built it for those that are interested as you don't have to play a game you don't have to. You can just rock it for Tuesday training and use it as a way to keep fit. That's absolutely fine. But knowing we're in the Inner Warrior League means we can offer them a six-a-side touch game that is basically the same as their Tuesday training sessions, which means they can play in a fixture, which is fantastic. You know, because some women may not feel comfortable doing that that 15-a-side contact game, particularly if they are menopausal, postmenopausal, entering the game for the first time. So it's making sure that there are lots of entry points for them in the game. And I think the more we make lots of entry points accessible, I think the more we'll see those older women entering the game, which is fantastic because they can bring a wealth of knowledge from outside of rugby into the club and make it in a a more enriched environment for everybody and a, a, you know, more just more enjoyable, you know, and more confident and, and chatting about stuff that, you know, younger women probably don't get to hear about, which obviously I did write in the in the magazine about the menopause. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about it until um, I'd had conversations through the article and then conversations about it at boot camp and said, we are now going to start to have discussions about it. And uh, a player that rocked up to Tuesday training said, yeah, it's shocking. You don't know what occurs uh, you know, some of my friends thought they had cancer when it was the symptoms of menopause because you just you just don't know because it's not talked about. So if we can make it a rugby club, an accessible environment for women who are going through it, I think we can make women's teams a, a touch point of information to find out more about what is potentially one of the last taboos we have in this country. Yeah, fair play. No, that's, I, yeah, that's just something... I wonder actually how many coaches would have ever considered that in in their experience. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not not me at all until I until I wanted to find out more about it. It wasn't even on my radar, to be honest. Yeah, fair play. Just um you touched on the magazine there. Do you wanna just for anyone that doesn't know what it is or how it's kind of come to to be in existence, just give us a bit of a bit of a rundown and, and kind of nudge people towards where they can find that and check it out. Yeah, so we are a women's rugby coaching magazine and it's a monthly magazine and weekly newsletters basically 
for you if you are a female involved in in rugby or if you are a coach involved in the women and girls game um and it is providing you as a coach with lots of useful information about how to get women and girls engaged in rugby what kind of games and activities to use um although they are really applicable over into the the boys game into the adult men's game i've used a lot of the games that that are in the magazine for for both genders um and lots of different types of sort of rugby scenarios um but we also have really interesting articles and interviews that look at stuff like menopause periods sports bras um and then rugby topics um such as we're, i'm currently looking at how to manage the the leap in laws from under 15 uh, from under 13s girls to under 15s girls um in this country because there is such a massive leap um particularly in scrums so how do we go about managing that as coaches is is really tricky and we don't want to we don't want to put off girls particularly as they're entering that sort of middle point in high school which is quite a tricky environment at quite a tricky time for them we don't want to then put them off rugby which is something they've they've obviously enjoyed at under 13 so it's how to manage that transition properly um but we look at stuff chatting about what it's like to be a female coach in rugby what it's like to be a female coach in general and how to get more female coaches on board um yeah it's it is open and accessible for anybody with it if you are a woman in rugby whether that's uh women and girls or men's rugby or whether you are a coach in the women and girls game and uh you can drop me a dm or tw- on twitter or you can find us at womensrugbycoaching.com amazing um I, I just love the fact that yeah that's up and running and it's it's just female focused like it never be and it shouldn't have taken this long, but the fact it, do you know what I mean? It's one of those where you kind of go, now it's there. You'd sit and go, like, why, why wasn't this there 10 years ago? Like, why, why has it taken so long? And all credit to you for, you know, for getting that up and running and, and doing that. Cause I can imagine how much work and effort goes into that, which I think is just, is just awesome. I've learned so much through it as well, to be honest. It has even doing it as a, as a job and, putting this this resource out there for other coaches it's great because I get to chat to other coaches and and improve my own practice but also I get to learn so much like I said earlier about the menopause I there's no way I would have learned about that or even thought about learning about it had it not been for the magazine and me generating ideas for it um so it sort of improved my own awareness of my own personal health as well as how to improve the personal health of my players fantastic where where do you see it going like what's the ambition uh, I, I want us to push obviously more um, with a global reach because there is so much that we can learn from other countries and there are so much that other countries can learn from us and to have a bigger resource or a community of practice for coaches in the women and girls game that extends globally I think is so important because I did an interview with, with Alice Soper who's in New Zealand she's a wonderful activist for the women and girls game and as she pointed out, there we are all going through the similar problems. We have either encountered the prejudices and problems and overcome them, or we are currently going through them. And we can share ideas and solutions to help each other and accelerate the growth of the women and girls game over the world. Fantastic. We'll put that as a shout out. So if there's anyone listening, you know, not in the UK, well, if you're in the UK and you want to get involved, then then please do get hold of Jess. But this, yeah, I definitely know there's there's a few few of the group from Canada and other places that listen to the pod pretty regularly. So um, yeah, I think that'd be class to 
to go global and, and get it out there. Um, do, you, do you just want to give people a nudge to where, where exactly can they find you and can they find the magazine? What are the website details or the Twitters? Yes, so we are at womensrugbycoaching.com is our website. Um, and I'm all over Twitter. So the, the Twitter handle for Women's Rugby Coaching is Women's Rugby COA2. But you can also drop me a DM on my own Twitter, which is at Rugby Coach Jess. And I live on there basically 24 <laughs> 7. Uh, there we go. I've loved this. Um, this has been really good to catch up and, and just hear about all the stuff you're doing. And as I say, I, I just love how how much planning has gone into this and, and the general kind of level of connection between um, the programs that you run and, and how you're going about that. Because I, I do, yeah, that is probably one of my bugbears at the moment is there's a lot of stuff I think happens within a rugby club, but actually how much of it is is really joined up, like how much of it is just being considered or how much of it is, oh, we'll, we'll you know, we'll just do this because we can do this, which is great. Like no one's saying don't, don't stop doing stuff, but when it happens in isolation, I think we're just missing a trick. And I, I wonder whether COVID is, has presented us with more opportunities to kind of keep that going. I mean, I guess one final question is like, what would your next, yeah. So 2022 off season, like, will you carry all this stuff on? Like have you guys thought that far about actually how, how you continue that engagement. So it just becomes a year round thing without people getting too tired like what what's your general thoughts kind of moving into next year yeah I think there's definitely a place for for year-round rugby and to make it completely accessible and to make people aware that they can drop in and out of it at any time they choose um so if you are a player that just loves the traditional rugby season have at it rock up play what you would consider your normal year and and that's absolutely fine but if you are somebody that wants to to run about in summer and have more of a summer rugby program, then I think offering stuff like touch and pass boot camp makes it more accessible. And then they may decide to, to stick with it, you know, for the traditional rugby season. I think the more we make our sport accessible, the better. And it may have to look different in summer than it was in, in winter. And I'm, and I'm saying that as a traditional tight head prop who loves, you know, when it's raining and snowing and there's mud on the ground and I'm rolling about in it and I'm scrummaging. Um, but just because rugby in the summer involves games like like Quidditch, some rugby golf, you know, more of the sort of the wackier games that you might not consider as a coach, doesn't mean it's it's any less enjoyable or doesn't mean it won't apply to your traditional rugby environment. So I think having lots of exit and entry points, as we discussed earlier, and making it more accessible throughout the year is, is only a better thing. Nailed it. Fantastic. I think we'll uh, we'll leave that one there. Thanks for coming on. As I said earlier, this is it's been great just to hear what you've been up to and some really really fantastic stuff. So um, yeah, to those listening, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to Jess for coming on and contributing to a fascinating discussion. Uh, links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Thanks.